Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. Today, we changed gears just a little bit in, in prepping for recording. Uh, we're going to address uh, some current events today. Uh, we, If you guys are waiting uh, impatiently with bated breath for our planned COPD recording, it's coming soon. So I know if you're into blue bloaters and pink puffers, uh, it's it's coming, but... If you've read the news, watch the news, check uh, the, the bottom of the scroll across uh, CNN or Fox right. News or your outlet of choice, you've probably seen information about the current measles outbreak. And unfortunately, we actually got an email yesterday. There is a measles case documented here in Montgomery County uh, with additional measles activity south of us in Houston and Harris County as well. So joining me today to talk a little bit about the measles is uh, Clinical Chief Jordan Anderson. Hello, everybody. And uh, my medical director, Dr. Rob Dixon. Good afternoon. And uh, none of us, quick disclaimer, none of us are uh, infectious disease specialists. Uh, we've relied heavily on the CDC for our uh, information in today's uh, discussion. But we wanted to just get a little bit of measles information out there to the crews about what to look for and what to be concerned about, and sort of kind of measles basics and some of the questions that have been addressed to us here at the hospital district regarding uh, measles. So uh, let's take it, I guess, from the uh, historical standpoint, it's a good spot to start. This is something that was relegated to the history books, fairly eradicated in the United States as recently as 2000. But uh, Yeah, amazing stuff. You know, the, in 1963, there were about half a million cases uh, per the CDC information documented in America with about 500 deaths resulting in that. And then you flash forward to the early 2000s where the because of immunization, the disease is essentially non-existent in America. Half a million in 1963 to basically eradicated in 2000. So in under 40 years through the efforts of vaccines, we took a disease. I mean, granted, it's not, you know, it's not, this is not a lethal disease like Ebola where if you get it, you're, you know, you got a 50% survival rate. But when you're talking about cases in the millions, if your uh, fatality rate is 0.2 or 0.3%, and you've got millions of people with the disease, you know, in, in, 19, in the 1960s, five, 600 people died a year in America. That's, right. that's, that's very significant. And then to the point in Montgomery County, the last documented case in Montgomery County was 1996. So it's been eradicated from this county for a long time but but we have a confirmed case so it's something that we need to be on the lookout right. for know how to know how to transport right so i think uh, can we circle back around chief and can you go over jordan and just talk a little bit about the clinical features what are our providers and the other emts out there how are they going to diagnose this how are they going to suspect this what does it look like sure I, I think that's probably the biggest question we have it's not a disease that we we learned in paramedic class or, or emt school on how to recognize but uh, it's important that we have that that kind of thought process now. So uh, any respiratory complaint is what it's going to look like, right? So it's very, very mundane, a viral infection of runny nose, a high fever typically would be kind of a, a hallmark symptom. Um, just the snotty kids, you could suspect measles, but the, the part that would kind of push it over the ledge to, to make that on the top of the differentials would be the just a, a big unexplained rash. So a rash today in 2019 
February, March, I would I would put measles on my differential in Montgomery County. Yeah, is that too much of a scare no, tactic? I don't, is that, I don't is that think too it's extreme? too much of a scare tactic. You know, I mean, I uh, I'll be real honest in that when Casey and I trained, you know, we learned about measles. And it was on the examinations, but I had never I've never seen a case clinically in this country. And uh, Dr. Patrick will share his experiences from working in Africa where he did see measles. Can you talk about those cases, yeah, so, Casey? So we we learned we learned measles, and to go back to Jordan's basically measles description is exactly right. It's going to look like a majority of upper respiratory viral illnesses that we see for that first couple weeks, high fever. And then the classic teaching is the three C's, uh, cough, coryza, and conjunctivitis. Coryza being runny nose. Snotty right? nose. It's so, that, it's that big doctor word for so, snotty so, nose. So fancy, kid. fancy, smart words, right? <laughs> but it's, it's a, a coughing snotty kid with red eyes. I mean, how many viral illnesses, adenovirus, enterovirus, I mean, influenza. You, we could we could roll the roll the list of viruses out right. the front door onto the street, and it fits into there. And that's that's the prodrome, right? That's the that's the fever, the snotty kid, you know, seven days, ten days, two weeks, and then we progress into the rash, which I had never seen before outside of textbooks until this past summer. For the podcast listeners out there, we've talked about my uh, Uganda experience extensively. Hit rewind if you want to. Uh, want to hear more about that. But as we were discussing prepping for the podcast, the point that I made was that it's really pretty obvious. The rash is very, very distinctive. Uh, Google images will do, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. I think Google images worth a thousand words in this situation. Google measles rash, just, you know, described as macula papular in the textbook. Um, You know, my non-dermatologic description is uh, really red and splotchy all over. Red and splotchy all over. I like that. So, so I like that. If the red and splotchy starts around day seven, they can be contagious before that. So maybe a concerning point, but we have so many viruses that look like it. It doesn't need to hit the top of our differentials yet. Right, right. I mean, in the big scheme of things, we have some spotty cases around the country. But I assure you, there are a lot more influenza cases, adenovirus sure. cases. I mean, there's lots of other viruses out there. So this is, this is if you're if you're uh, looking at, you know, is it a, a zebra or is it a horse? This is probably the zebra, but we kind of have to let everybody know that it's rearing its ugly head uh, because of vaccinations. C- Casey, can you talk about the onset in time? What's the incubation on this? How long are people going to be sick? And then when do you tell parents and, and loved ones if someone asks one of our providers, you know, when can I send my kid back to school? I think he has measles. So for contagious uh Classically, the teaching is the patients are thought to be contagious basically four days before and four days after uh, the onset of rash. Now, again, uh, you know, I would I would uh, kick that question up to my infectious disease colleagues as far as when to send kids back to school. If I thought that I had a measles exposure, I mean, I would obviously involve uh, my primary care provider, you know, likely infectious disease, uh, public health here in the county as well. And this is one definitely we want to track through CDC. Um, just backing up to that cough, runny nose, conjunctivitis, pink eye sort of patient, you know, we're going to have hundreds, if not thousands of those cases right now. It's, you know, it's February. Um, that's, that's rampant. That's, you know, uh, that's been me for the last couple of weeks, right? We're really talking about once the rash, rash appears. And once the rash appears and you're contagious for another four days, I would probably say at least a week. 
Um, yeah. I, I don't think, I mean, and I, again, I would totally defer that question to, you know, to our county infectious disease folks, because that's way outside of, outside of my wheelhouse. Right. Um, and this is a, this is pretty scary stuff. Infectious wise, let's talk about how easily this stuff is transmittable. This is a pretty formidable virus. Like it lives outside the human body for a couple of hours. It's an airborne virus. I was supposed to make like a bomb sound, but now I'm kind of embarrassed to make it. So I'm not going to make it. But sneeze. Okay. Sneeze. So I mean, this stuff is, it's a hardy virus. It can live outside the body and it's airborne, scary stuff. And what's the transmission rate? Jordan, we were looking through the CDC data before we started the cast. Right. It's, it's right. super high. If, if you get exposed to it. It's about nine out of 10. So nine out of 10 people exposed to the virus will, that are susceptible to the virus will contract it. So much more contagious than, than most of the things we deal with. The good news is it's, it's airborne and droplets. So if you're able to use your N95, um, everyone here at MCHD is fitted. You know you have an N95 that fits you. Um, that would prevent the transmission of the virus in the immediate term unless there was some other yeah. sort of cross-contamination. Or so put it, one on the patient or put one on both so of you. So put a surgical mask on the patient right. and the N95 on you or a non-rebreather on the patient. There's ways to prevent transmission if they have the virus and you suspect it. The virus should really transmit today for us if it's the snotty-nosed kid that has the virus and we're not susceptible. Suspecting how, of it. How protected are our our employees and other listeners out there? Can you, Dr. Peck, talk about the vaccine and if you've had the vaccine, am I covered? How effective is it? And and if I'm a provider out there, who who should I be worried about? Who who gets sick with this disease? So we'll work our way backwards. Six and under are vulnerable. Uh, pregnant patients are vulnerable. Adults are vulnerable, and immunocompromised patients are vulnerable. So let's go through each of those groups. Six and under are vulnerable because the classic vaccine schedule is a two-dose schedule around a year and then again at the time of kindergarten, basically. So with a single dose of measles vaccine, you're protected in the 90% range, 90 to 93%. The second vaccine uh, gets us up to 97, 98% efficacy. So we have, you, you will hear reports and we've heard reports of patients that have been vaccinated, that still contract a disease, uh, you know, nothing's 100% in medicine. But it's a darn good vaccine when you look at 97, 98% uh, efficacy rates. Um, so under six are susceptible because those kids classically haven't had the second dose of the vaccine. Pregnant patients are always high risk because they're carrying two. Um, immunocompromised patients, that's fairly obvious. Chemo, transplant. Some of these um, biologics for rheumatologic disease. Yeah. So they're, they're basically immunosystem, immune systems suppressed, so they're, they're more susceptible to the virus. And then adults are susceptible as they age because the uh, vaccine efficacy wanes, as, as with any, any vaccine um, or, or, you know, most vaccines. Again, I, I'd urge you to hit Google Images on this one because my description is going to be lacking, but classically blue-white spots uh, back on the inside of the cheeks, back toward the molars on the inside of the mouth. The reason why those are important is because for that first four, five, six, seven days of the illness, Yeah, cough, before, before you're really transmissible, cough, right? and pink eye, right? And today in our world, that's not measles. But if you saw those spots back on the buccal mucosa or the inside of the cheek, those often occur a couple of days before the big rash occurs, the external rash. So if you had that snotty, red eye, febrile kid, and you pulled the cheek back and you saw those whitish blue spots back on the inside of the cheek, that should definitely, definitely, definitely sound the alarm, raise your antennas for considering measles. So take a look at Google Images. We'll, put, we'll post some links in the show notes for the CDC information, 
for the big bad measles rash and for complex uh, spots so you can can take a look what else we want to hit before we close up here guys we really just wanted to do a, a kind of quick overview think, um, for, for our medics i think the next question and it's it's got a simple answer but what's the treatment so we get these kids or adults even in the back of the ambulance and what do we do for them and really it's just palliative care right transport them to the hospital alert the hospital before you get there if you suspect measles and let them know so they can take appropriate uh, precautions to prevent the spread but they don't need any specific uh, medications or, or treatment. Treat treat as you would any other yeah, patient. Yeah, fall, right. fall back on ABCs. Uh, you know, it's a viral illness. People, you know, especially you know neonates, uh, immunocompromised kids, kids with congenital heart defects. They can get really sick with these with any viral illness. So if the child needs you know IV hydration, looks really dehydrated, tachycardic, poor skin turgor. You know, maybe they need maybe they need a bolus. If they, uh, you know, you can get. Uh, you know, pneumonia with measles. And maybe uh, some beta agonists. Yes. Pneumonia, encephalitis. Yeah. I mean, they're So they're there's rare. potential for supplemental they're, oxygen, for fluids. Right. Again, let's fall back on our, on our, uh, on our foundational ABCs and our, on our foundational care with, with, these, with these kids. But there are no uh, magic bullet antivirals or antibiotics. Obviously, it's a virus, not a bacteria. But we, you know, notifying the hospital, you know, of your concern prior to arrival is all, you know, would be a good idea for respiratory isolation for sure. Couldn't agree more. I have one more concern that, that we might potentially make this family feel bad or that they played a part in this, the anti-vax campaign or, or movement, right? So I think as providers, it's important that we don't, it's not the opportunity to, to really scold someone in the to medical decisions they made, uh, right? It's going to yeah. be our decision to, to transport that patient and treat everyone with respect. So that'd, that'd be another thought yeah, I had. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, there's no guarantee that the patient may not have been vaccinated appropriately. Right. You know, the concept of herd immunity is is really important here. And that's the idea that if we're all immunized together, the transmission rates are going to go down, you know, as a group. So assuming uh, sometimes can make us look a little bit dumb. So again, I, I totally agree with Jordan. We need to keep our our editorial uh, philosophical thoughts out of out of this situation um, care for our patients to the best of our ability you know good 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 customer service good communication uh, be kind be gentle uh, the kids are going to be sick and going to feel like crap and on that same note I would encourage uh, all the listeners out there to to get vaccinated uh, it is a very effective vaccination it's a very contagious disease you know to close out with Again, it's not Ebola. Uh, I don't think there's any reason for us all to run around with hazmat suits on or uh, get the you know the decon uh, units ready. It's a viral illness. It's a very annoying, you know, nasty, febrile, snotty uh, viral illness that we don't want to have. But I don't. Again, I don't think there's any reason to start uh, sounding alarms and rolling in the national the national guard. We just need to be be aware that it's out there. Uh, be aware to look for the rash and to add it to our differential. So I might I might would swing the pendulum just a, a little bit uh, the other direction to say don't sound off the alarms. Um, but but here at MCHD I would call or I would ask that you call the infection control officer and run the call by us. Um, I of course am one of those uh, or Sean Henners, but I would run the call by us to make sure that we didn't have a potential for exposure and that, that everyone's safe and healthy and, and going home as safe as they came to work today. So I would, I would call infection control. And then at least for the time being, while we're trying to sort this out, I would ask to go out of service, to go back to your station, take a shower. It's probably not necessary. Take a shower, change your clothes and decon the back of your truck. That virus can live for a while on the surface of the ambulance. And if the patient sneezed, sneezed or coughed on it, um, we'd want to kill that virus before it had the potential to expose someone else. So I think that's a bit of an overkill. I'm not saying sound the alarms, uh, but I think it's uh, 
don't think that's rational practice. All right. Well, that about wraps us up for February 2019 measles in Montgomery County. Uh, thanks everyone for listening out there and we'll be back with a new episode soon. Thanks. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.